Good evening, everyone. Tonight's class is titled, The King is in Our Reach, Part 2. And we're discussing how Elul is the acronym, the Rafet Tevos of Anila Dodi Vidodi Li. Anila Dodi, I am to my beloved Vidodi Li, and my beloved is to me. I am to my beloved. The Jew is to Hashem, our beloved. Vidodi Li, our beloved, is to us. Hashem is to, in return, reciprocates back to us. But in Elul, Anila Dodi, I am to my beloved. The Jew is the one that approaches Hashem. We have to come forth, we have to do teshuva, we have to make an accounting of the year, and vidodi li, and then Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Hashem brings, inspires us with His energy of fear. On Sukkot, Hashem gives us the energy of love. So Elul is a time when we come to Hashem, and Tishrei, the High Holidays, is a time when Hashem comes to us. There was a chassid, who met a man during the month of Elul and the man was very down, very sour so the Chasa turns to him and he says what's going on here? why do you look so sad? why do I look sad? in a few months in, in, in less than a month's time I'll be standing in front of the judge I'm very scared so the man turns to the Chasa and he says why are you not scared? He says, because the judge is my father. <laughs> Very important point. When we talk about Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, let's not forget that the judge is our father. Avinu, our father, Malkenu, our king. Avinu, Malkenu, our father, our king. So now, we're, we have two... A cup. We have two questions. If Elul is a time when we come close to Hashem, how could it be that in Elul there's this tremendous godly energy penetrating the world? What is this godly energy that penetrates the world during the month of Elul? If we could pass around these Sidurim, and we're going to share, we, we, we don't have enough for everyone, we'll share. If we could pass these two further down. And I'd like if you could share with me, and we'll look at two separate sections. Section number one, page page sixty-two. Page sixty-two. We're specifically using the older edition of the Tilas Hashem Siddur because I needed to have something from the High Holidays that is not inserted in the newer editions, as you'll see momentarily. On page 62, in the middle of the page, the paragraph, it's, it's smaller words, it says, and the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Right before that, there are very small words in English that read, the following two verses are recited only when praying with a quorum of ten. The following two verses are only said if you have a minyan, ten people. And let's read the two verses. And the Lord passed before men proclaimed, Vayavor Hashem al-Panava Lord, Lord, benevolent God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, 
and abounding in kindness and truth, he preserves kindness for 2,000 generations, forgiving iniquity, transgression and sin, and he cleans. Hashem Hashem kil rachum v'chanun erech apayiv rav chesed v'emes notzer chesed lo'alafim nusei avon v'feshah v'chataav v'nakei What is this paragraph? Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu following the sin of the golden calf If ever a Jew is in need let him do what I am doing now What was God doing at the time? God was wearing a talis and he was saying the 13 attributes of mercy. And that is why when it's going to come Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we say Slichot. These Fardim say the entire month of Elul, the Slichot early in the morning. The Ashkenazim, our custom is to say it for, for a little, either a little over a week, under a week. We say Slichot before Rosh Hashanah. And the key of Slichot is that the Chazan will wear a Talit and the most important part of all the Slichot is when we're going to say this paragraph Hashem, Hashem, Kel Rachum, V'chanan, Lord, Lord, Benevolent God. There's nothing greater than this Hashem says. It's so holy, that's why you only say it if there's a Minyan. If there's no Minyan, you're not allowed to say it. It's, the energy is too great. The third, what? Absolutely. The third. This paragraph is the are the thirteen attributes of mercy. When we say that there are thirteen attributes of mercy, here it is. Where do? Let's now see how it's broken up. You could hold your hand on page sixty-two, but let's now turn to page two hundred and ninety-five. On page two ninety-five, we're looking at the Tashlich. This is when we go on Rosh Hashanah, we go to the riverbank, we go to the water where there's fish, and we symbolically throw our sins out into the water. Well, there is supposed to be living entities, fish, there is supposed to be fish in the water, yes. Why? Because fish, they always have their eyes open. Like Hashem, He always has His eyes, even when fish sleep, their eyes are open. If there are no fish, it's not. I, you should try and make sure there's fish. There are places that, there are places that for Rosh Hashanah, they go and they, they'll put a little goldfish in the water. But there should be fish. Should I do it? When we say Tashlich, we say a paragraph, as you could say on 290, see on page 295, Mikhail Kamocha, who is a God like you? You do not say the 13 attributes of mercy. But please look carefully at the paragraph. Let's start on the Hebrew side. You see where it says a little letter Aleph? Mi Kel Kamocha. On top of the Aleph, you'll see three words from the 13 attributes of mercy. Hashem, Hashem, Kel. And that is going to go throughout the paragraph. You have Aleph until Yud Gimel, 1 until 13. Because we say words corresponding to each one of the 13 attributes of mercy. Let's run, a, run our fingers, not on the bigger words, let's run our fingers on the words, the small words on top that we don't say. Hashem, Hashem, Keil, Rachum, Vechanun, Erech, Rapaim, Rav Chesed, Vemes, Notzer, Chesed, Loal, Ofim, Notzer, Avon, Vofesha, Vachata, Avenakei. In the English, we could again do the same thing. 
We have the bigger words, who is a God like you? But on top of that, we're just going to read the smaller words. Lord, Lord, benevolent God, are you with me? Lord, Lord, benevolent God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in kindness and truth. He preserves kindness for 2,000 generations, pardoning iniquity, transgression and sin. He, clean, he cleanses. So, this is a secret. Page 295 is a secret page. What I mean to say is, if you were to go and try and figure out what the 13 attributes of mercy are, by looking at page 62, you won't see it. When you look at the words of the 13 attributes of mercy, there's major controversy. What exactly are the 13 attributes? That's... that's principles the traits, and the larger point of the behaviors. Correct. Correct. So therefore we've turned to page 295 by the Tashlich where you could see how the 13 attributes are actually broken up. And for our conversation what's going to be important is that the words Hashem, Hashem, Keo on 295 you'll see that the first attribute is not the word Lord, is not the second word Lord. The first attribute of the 13 attributes of mercy is Benevolent God. The first of the 13 attributes of mercy is benevolent, God Kale. This is going to be very important later on. These 13 attributes of mercy, they shine, they illuminate during the month of Elul. If someone asks you, what is the greatness of the month of Elul, you now know. What does it mean that God is shining? It means that the 13 attributes of mercy are not hidden within us like throughout the year. The 13 attributes of mercy are revealed. We just need to tap into them. And this leaves us with two major questions. Let's start with number two, it's much easier. <laughs> the 13 attributes of mercy are shining? That can't be. Because on Yom Kippur, what is the greatness of Yom Kippur? That the 13 attributes of mercy shine. Why is Yom Kippur called the greatest day of the entire year? Because the 13 attributes of mercy are shining. So then, the entire month of Elul, we should not be eating, we should not be drinking, we should not be anointing ourselves, we should not be bathing. We should have that same, that same holiness that exists on Yom Kippur. When the 13 attributes of mercy are shining, exists actually throughout the entire month of Elul. Question number two. Again, that question is, why is the month of Elul a work day? If the 13 attributes of mercy are shining. Let's go now to question number one. We said, the month of Elul is a month when we put our best forward. Ani lidodi, I am to my beloved. I have to go forth to Hashem. But if, I, if the 13 attributes of mercy are shining... If someone gives you a big hug, you, you're going you're gonna to work with them and give them an embrace. Is Hashem shining on us? Or is it that we are coming forward? Which one is it? So now that we've shared this beautiful revelation that the 13 attributes of mercy are shining in the month of Elul, it, it's a contradiction to our statement we learned last week that the month of Elul is about us coming closer to Hashem. 
to summarize and then we'll take questions. If during this month the 13 attributes of mercy are shining, which leads us with two questions. Number one, if the 13 attributes of mercy are shining, then Hashem is the one coming forward, not us. Hashem started the initiation. Question number two is, if the 13 attributes of mercy are shining, that's the greatest illumination of the entire year. That is why Yom Kippur, we don't do anything. It's greater than Shabbos. And the entire month, we shouldn't be working. We should be serving Hashem like Yom Kippur. Are there any questions? I think, though, like, if they're shining, and they're always shining, we still need to be working. So like, because, I mean, we, we need to serve Hashem, and we need to serve, serve our bodies. And we're working, if we're working for Hashem, then what we're working on, like whether it's you know school or a job or family or whatever, that's to serve Hashem. So it's working with the emulation that's going on. We don't just like stop. We're not angels yet, but we do have like that special day where we fast. We have special days where we fast because we're not angels, but we try to get close to it. But we can't do it every single day. So we pick like one or two days. Very good question. The question is, it just doesn't make sense. We serve Hashem through working. The Torah itself says to work. Very good question. What does it mean that on Shabbos we can't work? Why on Shabbos are we not allowed to do 39 items? Why is that? Because Hashem said that on the sixth day He rested when Shabbos comes and nothing's... There's no work or anything. It's a rest day and a day to pray. Correct. Hashem rested, so He asks us to rest. But there's much more to that. Why did Hashem tell us we can't work on Shabbos? Because Hashem resting brought with it a revelation of Hashem. Shabbos, we all know. The Gemara shares with us that there was an emperor that loved challenge. He one time went to a Tana, he went to a, 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 um, a Jewish home about 2,000 years ago, over 2,000 years ago for Shabbos, and he loved the challenge. And he asked his servant to go find out, how do you make this challenge? And his servant found out and made it, and it was a disaster. So the king, again, a few times, didn't work. So finally the king calls this rabbi and he says you lied I asked you for instructions and you obviously gave bad instructions he says he says you're right I missed one important ingredient I missed the ingredient of Shabbos there's nothing you can't anyone ever tried to make challenge on Thursday it's not gonna work you cannot make challenge it's not gonna you'll have a hot dish made in a crock pot but you will not challenge is only for Shabbos it, it that's, Shabbos brings with it energy and because of that energy, how could you work if Hashem's right next to you in a revealed sense? And that is what, why on Shabbos and Yom Tov, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, we don't do these 39 objects. Because there's so much godly energy that's revealed to us that we need to bring it in, accept it, and work with it. And if that's the case, so yes, Hashem wants us to work, but we can't work. We're going to be going against what we're receiving at the time. It's as if I give you a million dollars, this great revelation, I'm giving you a million dollars, and you say, you know what, I, I just, right now, I only need five dollars, so I'll give you back the rest. 
Hashem, <laughs> Hashem is giving us a million dollars. He's giving us this revelation of the 13 attributes of mercy. Hashem's the first one, benevolent God. What could be greater than that? And we're just going to go ahead and let it go. How could it be? Obviously we do work in the month of Elul, but how could that be? Let's see the questions inside. And then we're going to see the most fantastic answer. Perhaps this is one of the most well-known analogies throughout Judaism. It is an analogy that Rabbi Shneir Zalman wrote a little under 300 years. And today, it is so widespread that it is not even any more recognized that it's from Rabbi Shneir Zalman. It's, as it, today it's called the story of Elul. It's, it's been so widely accepted. Let's see it inside. We're on the second page, top of the page. Although the divine service of Elul is to be initiated by man, there is also a revelation of godliness at this time which enables that arousal. Thus it is known that Elul is a time when the 13 attributes of mercy are revealed. In this month we have a revelation of the 13 attributes of mercy. So this, this is question number one. Is it, are we coming forward? Is it Anila Dodi? Or is Hashem revealing to us? Question number one. Question number two. If so, it is necessary to understand. We have a tremendous question. If in this month we have this revelation of Hashem so strong, why are the days of Elul ordinary weekdays and not festivals? Why is Shabbos and Yom Tov a festival so holy? The Shabbosos. And the festivals are distinguished because they are days when a dimension of godliness transcending the natural order is revealed. On Shabbos and Yom Tov, godliness greater than this world is revealed within this world. On then, his godliness radiates downwards. In particular, the revelation of the 13 attributes of mercy, the Yudgimel Midos Arachamim, reflects a very elevated level of godliness. Meaning, in addition to the fact that whenever there is a tremendous revelation of godliness, we don't do work on Shabbos and Yom Tov, the 13 attributes is even greater than this and seemingly should merit distinction. For this is the level revealed on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur! What is the greatness of Yom Kippur? The 13 attributes of mercy are revealed. So how could it be that El is just another day in the calendar? It's basically the same as Yom Kippur. Now obviously there's a great difference between Elul and Yom Kippur. Obviously. It's clear to us that we have the same revelation throughout Elul. You're with me? We have the same gilui, the same revelation throughout the month of Elul as on Yom Kippur. And yet, we treat them differently. What is this difference? And now comes Rib Shneir Zalman and he shares with us this, the following analogy. Let's read it inside. Then we'll go over it outside and then we'll read it again inside. This concept can be illustrated by way of analogy. Before a king enters a city, its inhabitants go out to greet him and receive him in the field. 
The king is in the field. He, the king went on a trip. What's the trip? Perhaps he went on a trip and he was visiting different constituents. He was diff visiting different, different towns. Perhaps he was getting away for a little bit and he's on his way back. And he's walking home. He's on his way home. He's not dressed. He's not in the same environment that he would be within his palace. In his palace, he's the king. When he's in his caravan, he's still the king. But he doesn't demand the same amount of respect. At that time, anyone who so desires may go out and greet him. He's, he's in his carriage. I don't, the king back then, I guess they didn't go like today, the president. If you, the president, when he goes, he has like basically an army with him on either side. But at that time, the king, you could go up and talk to him. Not only could you go and talk to him, the king, he receives everyone pleasantly and shows a smiling countenance to all. The king is happy to see. You know, if, if you go to... Are you familiar with a bungalow colony? A yes. bungalow colony is where people go for the summer and they relax. And I've been to some bungalow colonies and they're so amazing. You have the upper class and the lower class all talking, all interacting. You have the rabbis, the scholars, you have the workforce, the work task, and they're all on the same level, they're all neighbors. It's actually, it was a really very inspiring experience. You see that camaraderie, you see that energy. The king in the field, he's smiling to everyone. He's interacting with everyone. He's happy to see you. And as he proceeds to the city, the people from the city, they, they follow him. Oh, but then he gets back to his palace. He's back home. Today's Labor Day, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's, we're about to start the, the new year. We're about to start the workforce. And if you talk, you, you have a few more hours to talk to everyone. But afterwards, once they start work, when, when the king reaches his royal palace, oh, one may only enter his throne room with permission. And even then, who gets permission? This is granted only to the nation's elite, a select few. Beautiful analogy, beautiful analogy. In Elul, the king is in the field. The king, he's returning back to his palace. And he's, he wants to see you. He's so excited when he sees you. What, let's quote, look at these words. They're so special. The Rebbe, he spoke every single year about this analogy. And every single year he would show another point within this analogy. And I want to share a few with him. First of all, the king is in the field. And who goes to visit the king in the field? Let's look at the analogy. Before a king enters a city, its inhabitants, the city's inhabitants, go to greet the king. To make a, a complete separation. But let's just imagine, you have the president is returning to Washington. So we're saying here that the residents of Washington themselves come out of the city to greet. Again, to separate, we're talking over here about a king, we're talking about over here about Hashem. But we're saying that the residents of the city go out to the field. They're going out. Every Jew is a resident of the city. Every Jew with it is, has within him the energy to be a tzaddik, the ultimate. And every Jew is going out to greet the king, greet Hashem. And Hashem looks at each and every one of us and He is excited to see us. Look at these words. 
he receives them all pleasantly and shows a smiling countenance to all. But say there, Panim Yafos. Hashem is, in the month of Elul, Hashem is, he's excited to see you. He's looking. He says, Come say, my Shemango, come say hi. <laughs> Could you imagine? Hashem wants, just think about this. Hashem, he's, he's saying, Come, say hi, come, let's talk. Oftentimes, the greater you are, the more, the more rough you have to be with everyone, right? If you're, if, you're really, if, if you're really important, you can't pretend you have time for people. If someone comes to talk to you, they have, you don't have time for them. Hashem is saying, I have time for you. I want to talk to you. I want to connect with you. But, yes, when Rosh Hashanah comes, Hashem is back in His palace. That open connection... It's harder to reach. Much harder to reach. Are there any questions about the analogy? By raise of hand, how many people were familiar with the analogy before tonight? Wonderful. It's a very famous analogy. And this is the month of Elul. And we have just answered all our questions. We asked. We said, what's going on over here? The month of Elul, who's coming first? Is the Jew coming to Hashem? Is Hashem coming to the Jew? We said, if you have this revelation of the 13 energies, the 13, um, the 13 midos harachim and the 13 attributes of mercy, so then it should be like Yom Kippur. We've just answered all those questions. In this month, Hashem is available. Hashem says, come. But yes, the Jew still needs to go to Hashem. We need to leave the city and go greet the king. Exactly. You don't need an appointment. There's no appointment. Oh, is that what you, you don't need an appointment. Correct. There's no appointment necessary. But you need to go greet, greet the king. And we asked that seemingly if you have this revelation, it should be Yom Kippur. There's a little catch. On Yom Kippur, every Jew is inspired no matter what. We, we know numerous stories. There's a, there was a child, a farmer, Many stories, I'm, I'm actually slipping my mind these specifics, that on Yom Kippur people were just inspired. They were far off the beaten track of Judaism, and yet came the day and they, they felt they have to connect to Hashem. Yom Kippur, these, the 13 attributes of mercy are revealed, and they automatically inspire you. During the month of Elul, they're here, but you still need to tap into them. They're not revealed, they're not just going to shock you like Yom Kippur. And going back to the analogy of the king in the field, the king is in the field, but that procession will not inspire you as if you saw the king in his palace. Seeing the king in his palace, on Yom Kippur, when the king is in his palace and he then reveals the 13 attributes of mercy, that's going to be something that you can't run away, that inspiration. But the, again, the king in, his, in the field, the revelation is much lower. In Hasidus, we learn that when the king goes to the field, He's lowering himself to a very big extent. That, that energy that a king has while he's in his palace, the power a king has while he's in his palace, and the power he has while he's taking a, taking a stroll in the field mm -hmm. is much less. And that is why, yes, the king is revealed to us. Yes, the 13 attributes are revealed. But it's, it's, a very, it's, it's revealed, but it's still very concealed during this month. We need to go, and if we go, we'll catch it. We have to get the Pokemon Go. We have to go and catch. We have to catch the energies, but 
on Yom Kippur, we don't need to try and catch it. It's going to inspire us. Why is this revelation in Elul and not in Sivan? So firstly, it's hidden in its name. Right? But second of all, when do you normally... When, when does a, a business... When do they make an accounting of, the, of how the business is going? At the beginning of the year or at the end of the year? At the end of the year. So the same thing, a Jew, when do we start making an accounting of what's going on? When do we try and reconnect with Hashem and try and take everything to a new level? That's going to be right before Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah is the new year. So the accounting is going to be in the month prior. There should be a planning. Nisan is also. Nisan is not so much a month of accounting. Nisan is... That would also be a holy month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nisan is the planning month. Fair enough. Nisan, fair, fair enough. <laughs> but getting back to Elul, Elul is a month of accounting. And just to add to that detail, very interesting to know, not only is Elul the month of accounting as a whole, but when we reach the last 12 days of Elul, from the 18th day of Elul until the 29th, there's 12 days, and every one of those days corresponds to one month of the year. That means on the... On the 18th day of Elul, we have the power, through proper introspection, to redo and elevate the entire first month of the year, the entire month of Tishrei. On the 19th of Elul, the st- we have the power to redo the entire second month of the year, Cheshvan. On the 29th day of Elul, we have the power to redo the entire month of Elul itself. So, yes, Elul is certainly a month of introspection, and as we get closer to Rosh Hashanah, the energies get even stronger and stronger. One more thing that's fascinating on the topic of accounting, the week between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, there's ten days with Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which are three, the, the seven days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we say each one of those days is the essence of the, the same day throughout the year. So that means between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the Sunday has the energy of all Sundays throughout the year, the Monday, etc. So this month, these 40 days of Elul and the 10 days of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur in between, they are very powerful, they are very important, and they hold a lot of energy within them. So we need to go and unlock them, we need to go and connect with them. Do you have a question? I think so, yes. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> no, I'm trying to understand the, the days leading up to one Tishrei. Yeah. Each, each day, what does each day represent again? Or, the last 12 days the last before, 12. The, before Rosh Hashanah, yeah. each one of those days represents one of the 12, month, 12 months That's of the year. Yeah. Yes, Doctor. So last time um, you said that on Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, Hashem sort of comes closer. Yeah. But in the month of Elul, we get we approach Hashem. Yeah. But over here with this analogy with yeah. the king of the palace, um, it sounds like when he goes to the palace, he's becoming more distant from the people rather than closer. So how does how does that? 
It's a great question. You're asking that during Elul, seemingly Hashem is in the field, so He's more revealed to us. And, and once He goes back to His palace, He's less revealed. Great question. When the king is in the field, so He's actually very concealed. If you're going to perceive the king in the field, He won't inspire you as if you saw Him in His palace. That the, when you see the king with all his glory, that brings out a whole new inspiration. So on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, those are days of the year that actually were invited into the king's palace. That is why Ne'ilah, the last, the last prayer of this whole, these 40 days, the last prayer on Yom Kippur means, what does Ne'ilah mean? Na'ul is a lock. Na'ilah means to be locked. The gate is locked. The gate is locked. There's two wet ways you can understand what it means the gate is locked. One way is that we're being locked out of the palace. The other way is that this is the last prayer that we're locked in to the palace. This is a prayer when we're locked in, to the, we're locked in with this connection with Hashem. So, to go back to your question, in the month of Elul, the king is in the field, very easily accessible to all of us. But, we have to go and connect with him, because the inspiration itself of the king in the field is not enough to inspire us. We have to connect with it. Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, yes, the king is in his palace, and actually, not only are we allowed into his palace, we must come to his palace. It is a time of judgment. So we, we do have that tremendous inspiration coming to us. What is the main point between the two days? In the month of Elul, Hashem is, He wants to see us in a loving manner. So that's the, that's the key over here. In the month of Elul, Hashem says, Come, I want to see you. Imagine if the judge said for 30 days before your judgment, let's, let's team up over here, let's make this work. That's what's going on in Elul. Hashem is saying, yes, there may be some big days ahead, but let's, let's work it out together. Let's team up. So this is really big. So, on those 12 days before, are you preparing what you'll do in those 12 months of that coming year? It's the past year. The past year. You're rectifying the past year. You're rectifying the past year. When the, the key to the coming year actually is would be the seven days between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur and the first Shabbos after Sukkot Shab- Shabbos Bereshis the Shabbos that we read, the Parsha Bereshis that is also called the lock of the year so this time that we're in right now is tremendous it's absolutely outstanding we are t- standing in a time period where Hashem is telling us come and when we come Hashem is showing us a smiling face a happy countenance He wants to connect with us to explain the, diff- the soul coming down into this world. The soul in heaven, what it wants, and when we come down here, they share how there was a young man who was very poor. He really couldn't make it. And he found out that there's an island that if you take onions there, start over. This man, he found out that 
there's gold, there's an island where there's diamonds lying all over the island, and they're free for anyone to take. Okay, so he gets on the next bus, he gets on the next boat, he goes to the island, and it's true. There's diamonds all over the place. So he goes into the local bakery, and he says, look, I, I, you know, I'd like this and this uh, Danish, this food. And he says, here, uh, how, how, much, how many diamonds would he want? So they say, look, over here in this island, diamonds are worthless. Everyone, over here, you, we need onions. Give us some onions. Well, diamonds don't mean anything. Okay, so finally he gets a hold of a few onions and he buys some food and he realizes that the diamonds are worthless and he gets rid of all the diamonds and he, he starts growing onions. And he's very successful. He, he's, he becomes the most successful man on, on the island. He's a rich man. He could do anything. Finally, he realizes it's time for him to go back home. And he's, gonna, he's a wealthy man. He takes all of his merchandise. He takes the onions and he goes back home. He pulls up to town and he says, look, I want to buy a house. And they say, okay. He says, here, take as many, look, all, all these onions. And they start laughing at him, onions. onions it's not going to do anything here. Money talks. Onions don't talk here. And that is the same story for the soul in heaven. The soul in heaven knows that what talks is gold, is Torah and mitzvot. It comes to this world and we convince it, gold? <laughs> Onions is what counts. What counts in this world? Are you having a good time? Are you having a party? Are you enjoying life? And this, this soul, and so, okay, unfortunately, you may make a decision, let's enjoy life. And it goes back, it, and then it comes to the next world, it says, look, I, I, I was successful in this world. I had a good job, I had a good life, life was good. And they say, what are you talking about? Life being good, that's not your task, that's not your mission. So in this month of Elul, when Hashem comes with a smiling face, He says, I'm here, I want to reconnect, don't worry about the past. It's, uh, don't worry about if you got caught up in the onions, if you got lost in, in your thoughts. Let's make, it, let's make it happen. It's unbelievable the potential that this time carries with us. Fair, true, true, true perception? Yes. I, I truly hope that that you're all going to leave here with this inspiration, knowing that we're, we're standing today in a time period where there's gold on the floor. There's gold on the floor. Hashem is, the, the inspiration is here. The gold is on the floor, but you need to bend down and pick it up. You know, they say you could take, a, you could take an animal to the water, but the animal still needs to drink by itself. The gold is on the floor. We do need to bend down and pick it up. We do need to connect with Hashem. What does it mean? Any questions on that point before we continue? Please. Well, the, the, go back to that analogy. Yeah. I, I understand the analogy that, that you said, but, but, but why does he say that um, the entrance to the palace is granted only to the elite? Because you said everybody is invited to the palace. So that was that was confusing. If everybody's invited, then why, did, why does he put this about the, just the select few? Very good question. Very good question. You're saying that in the month of Elul, Hashem is free to everyone. And seemingly, once Hashem goes back into the palace, the palace is locked. You can't come in. And we're saying here, only who could go in, the nation's elite. But we're saying that in Rosh Hashanah, everyone's inspired. It's a good point. So everybody, everybody becomes the elite? 
So firstly to, firstly to comment, the Gemara and Shabbos tells us that two things. First of all, every Jew is a son of a king. That's a quote from Shabbos. A more familiar quote we all know is, Kol Yisrael Yeshlem Every Jew has a portion of the world to come, and every Jew is full of mitzvot like a, like a pomegranate. Every Jew has a portion in the world to come. As this verse says, that every, your nation, everyone is a righteous man. So on the one hand, yes, we all are, we all are elite. But on the other hand, we're not... The truth is, Dr. Yosef, let me think about it. It's a very good question. <laughs> it's, it's a very good question. Every, every man cannot go talk to Moses. You talk to the uh, elders. can get to Moses. can't. You get as close as you can. But that's, I think Yitzchak has a thought. The idea of Yom Kippur, though. When I read it, I, the nations of me, I interpreted the Kabbalists. Interesting. Interesting. Those who know the secrets. Mm-hmm. Which all Jews do. Pardon? Maybe it's those that bent over and picked up. Well, that's, that's oh. where the choice comes in, then. But that still shouldn't make you a lead. He's there in Yom Kippur. He got him. Dr. Yosef, I need, I need to think about it. It's a very good question. It's a very good question. But, I, I hope... So yes, Yitzchak has an interesting observation that perhaps elite would mean the Kabbalists, but Yitzchak, Dr. Yosef's question is, he's saying that if on, throughout the year, there are time periods where God is inspiring us in a revealed sense, like on Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, and Yom Kippur, so then, in a way, it's similar to the king in the field. The king is accessible to everyone. Is, is that your question, Dr. Yosef? Mm-hmm. Right. And that's, I'd like to get back to you about that. Okay, let's make a summary. And we will uh, continue, I guess, with part three next week. So the summary is that this Elul is a time when we need to put our best step forward. But that, to help us do that, Hashem actually comes and gives us this tremendous potential. This power, the 13 attributes of mercy are shining. And they're on the floor. They're that gold on the floor, but we need to go ahead and tap into it. And we explain this through the analogy of the, of the king that is in the field. When the king is walking in the field, he is accessible to everyone. And then he goes into his palace. The doors are locked. Only the elites could get in. In the month of Elul, the king is in the field. He's accessible to everyone. And like we said, he, he's looking at us. He's showing us a happy face. A happy countenance. It's tremendous what is going on. Next week, what we're going to continue is we're going to discuss... What does it mean that the 13 attributes are shining? What exactly does that inspiration mean? And that's where we started off at the beginning of the class. We, we were looking inside that the first of the 13 attributes of mercy is benevolent God. Next week we're going to look at what does it mean, benevolent God? What, what, what's this inspiration flying around? And how could we perhaps tap 
more into it. Are there any concluding questions? Well, that's sort of a question. I mean, there's few. I mean, we're all striving to be signed and sealed and we want to get in. But we don't really know, none of us, I think, know, like, we don't know when, like, none of us know how long we're going to be here or what's going to be happening or what's going to be going on. So, ultimately, it's, I mean, we have, we have choices and we can do things, but ultimately, there is God. And so, perhaps that's just few, and few can mean many, few, whatever. Perhaps it's something we just don't know. You're saying that perhaps the select few allowed inside are the, are the people that are going to remain alive? Is that what you're saying? Interesting. Okay. Interesting thought. Let, let's reconvene about this next week. Hopefully we'll, be, we'll have a little more insight. Thank you very much, everyone. And have a wonderful, wonderful week. And don't waste the energy that's flying around. Don't let it go.